0: It was about five years ago in fact this is the actual place right around the corner our living room is where the church began what was a group of about 20 of the most amazing people you can imagine and uh, what we now refer to as a dangerous prayer and that prayer was god we want to get involved in something that's destined to fail unless you show up people just gathered around on our couches and Mm -hmm. on our dining room chairs and Mm we just prayed together and laughed together and cried a little bit together and just laid out what we were feeling god was leading us to it was never hey we have this building or we have this preacher let's build a church um, uh, around that it was always god we're being we're being led we're being compelled to uh, step out on our own and we need you to show up in a big way or we're going to fail the response that we saw just initially was just an affirmation that I think people were hungry for, for a work of, of something new that I think God was doing here at Illuminate. To see God work in people's lives as he has done, to see people get saved, to see people get baptized, to see marriages get healed, addictions overcome, I'm just really thankful you know, that I've, God has given us the opportunity to um, do ministry in this way. In light of uh, where God has brought us to this point, we do have some, some certain limitations. And so we want to be able to take the lid off of those limitations. So right now, we're bumping up against the ceiling, even in terms of the amount of people that we can fit here in our worship center. We don't want to just minister to the people that are in our doors now. We always want to make sure the doors are open and our arms are open for that person who feels lost. This is going to be a journey of transformation for the entire church. It's a journey of becoming a disciple, understanding exactly what it is that God wants for us, and then stepping into it as a church family together. And I'm so excited that we get to do this together. So this morning, yeah, you can clap for that. So this morning, I'm going to be stepping out of our Genesis series. In fact, this morning, and for the next couple of weeks to bring you a special message. It's actually something that I brought a year ago. And it has to, has everything to do with the future vision of, of the church. And one of the reasons why we thought it was important to bring this to you again is because by the grace of God, over the last year, year over year, uh, our attendance is up about 31%. Adult attendance in the worship center is up about 31%. Children's and kids is up a little over 20%. That's just over the last year. So what that means is that there are a number of people who now call Illuminate their home church, and they may not know about the future vision of the church. So any church that you attend, one of the first questions you want to ask is, hey, where are you headed, <laughs> right? Where do you believe God is leading you into the future? And for us, it's, it's very, very uh, clear. And so what I want to do this morning, and this might be a little bit of review for some of you, but it's always kind of fun. I want to begin by giving you a little bit of the history of Illuminate. We have two phrases that we use quite often around here. Number one, where God guides, he provides. That's been the history of our church from day one. And number two, we use this phrase, only God. We have a lot of only God stories, and I'm going to share a couple of those with you today. But essentially, the way things got started was, as you heard on the video, we began to pray what we do now refer to as a dangerous prayer. Jill and I were at a time in our lives where we were contemplating, what is next for us? What does the next chapter hold? We'd had a lot of God's stories in our lives, but we wanted more, and we wanted bigger ones. And we thought to ourselves, you know, what is it? What is next for us? What does the next chapter hold? And so as we began to pray this this prayer, God, we want to involve ourselves in something that is absolutely destined to fail. It cannot succeed unless you show up. So all along the way, I personally had never had the dream of planting or starting the church, full disclosure. Never had that dream, never had that desire. Having dinner with some friends uh, six years ago, almost six years ago to the day, they were asking me what what I was thinking about doing for the next chapter of my ministry life and said, well, not really sure. Been looking at some different opportunities here and there, some in-state, some out-of-state. And they asked Jill what she thought. And Jill said, I think we should start a church. It's the first time I heard her say that. <laughs> Might want to talk about this. <laughs> and like not in front of our friends <laughs> for the first time. Right? <laughs> that began the journey. As we began to think and pray and our friends had said well hey if, if that's the desire of your heart here's what's interesting Some, someone's going to reach out to you they're going to talk to you about doing that okay never done that before not even sure that I'd be any good at it but wait a minute <sighs> I want to do something that's destined to fail unless God shows up Well, the powers of darkness don't want healthy churches. Society certainly isn't asking for churches. You'd be surprised other churches don't want other churches around sometimes. That sounds great. Let's do that. Let's do that. So from there, we got a small group of people together, about 20 people. We gathered in my living room. I think we have that picture up here. This, this is the spot. This is the spot where Illuminate Community Church began six years ago in my living room. This is where I first found out about that app, offer up. because I thought, you know, I could sell the couch and the table and stuff like that, and we can make a little space, and maybe we could get 30 or 40 people in here. We'll just have a little house church, man, and we'll just see what happens. You know, we'll see how it goes. In these meetings, we had a few of them. We began to strategize, think, plan, prepare. It's where we came up with our core values that you actually still see on the walls today. And these values are still the driving forces behind everything that we we do, especially what takes place on Sundays. And we began to think about what sort of this irresistible new work of God might be like in the Northeast Valley. We began to pray some more. And before too long, we realized that, the space in my living room wasn't gonna be enough because as people were spreading the news, a few more people would come and join us and wanna be part of things. And it was a real pioneering spirit. And I'll be very candid with you, and I'll tell you that a guy who mentored me in church planting, because I didn't know anything, so I tried to do a deep dive, he said, here's what you're gonna discover. Very few people wanna be pioneers. Everybody wants to be a settler. You understand that? Very few people want to be pioneers because that's hard work. That's boots on the ground. But by the way, those pioneers are super fun. They're super rare. What you'll find is that people will say, Well, we, we'll be a part of what you're doing once you start like becoming legit. Like once you have like some sort of shelter to meet under, you know? Or or you you have like some sort of like children's ministry or whatever it is, then maybe we'll be a part of what you're doing. Very few people wanna be pioneers. Well, what, what, what we realized is that we actually had quite a few pioneering people who bought into the vision. And so as word began to spread, more people would join us, our living room wouldn't hold the people, and so we began to pray, what's next, what's next? Here's an, I have so many of these only God stories. So I'm out to lunch with a friend, And we're just talking, and this man approaches the table because he recognized the sound of my voice, introduces himself, and he says, Jason, says, What are you up to? I said, Well, man, you know, we're starting a church. He's like, That's amazing. I'd love to help. What do you need? And I laughed and I said, I need a building. He said, I have a building. I said, well, you know, I'd really love to be off the 101. I'm making this. I'd really love to be off the 101 because, you know, that kind of opens you up to a lot of areas around the valley. Sunday morning traffic, it's pretty light. He said, I have a building off the 101, it's by the ice den, you want to see it? Now, I'm in my car, 15 minutes later, driving behind him, I'm on, I'm on the phone to my wife and I'm saying, you're not going to believe what just happened. You remember church when we prayed, little church? Remember little church when we prayed? We had a need. Let's see what God does with it. Well, that building was an empty gymnastics warehouse. We met in the upper room. We affectionately call it as the upper room now. It was the space that parents would observe their kids as they train. I think we have a picture of this too. Yeah, that's it right there. Below is the gymnastics little you know, center there. So it's a building kind of like this, but outfitted for... Uh, athletics, and uh, so we had some more meetings, and we just began to share the vision more and more, and said, "Hey, if you, there's somebody that's out there that you think might want to be a part of this, just invite them." And so people started coming, and so we started to grow a little bit in that space. And then I, I kind of declared, "Hey, listen, we're going to have a we're going to have a Christmas Eve service." Now at this time, the church didn't own anything because we had we really didn't have anything, you know. The guy that owned this building, uh, he just let us uh, use it for free. It was was up for sale, so we knew we couldn't be there forever. He said, "As long as you can meet here, great." So that's what we did, and so we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. So that that Christmas Eve service was BYOC. It was bring your own chair because we didn't have any chairs, right? And it was in that that center where the gymnasts practiced their skills and. There was a big open pit that would normally be filled with foam, right? But it was empty. It was a massive hazard. So he says, BYOC, um, but also be careful because there's this big empty pit. If you fall in or your kids fall in, it's not going to be a fun Christmas Eve service for anybody. We had caution tape around it. We had pit bosses. I was terrified. You know, like this is, a, this is, this is not, this is going to be crazy. And people came. People were just inviting their friends, and I'm telling you right now, it was, people not only brought their own chairs, there a bunch of lawn chairs everywhere, do we have, a, I think we have a picture of that too. So people were bringing their own folding chairs to sit in, and some of these dudes showed up pulling like, you know, like coolers. <laughs> I'm like, what's in the cooler? They're like Christmas punch. It, I'm not exaggerating when I say it was the most North Scottsdale hillbilly Christmas service <laughs> you can imagine. Lawn chairs, pulling coolers for a Christmas Eve service next to the ice stand, and over 300 people showed up. And Jill and I were in the front row, like holding hands, like "You turn around, no. You turn around, no. You turn around." You know. <laughs> Throw that picture up there again, will you please? I'm pretty sure, Kyle, Kyle, I think pretty sure that Kyle and some other guys built that set out of like scrap lumber. Those trees, you can't really tell in this picture, they're like dry as a bone because we dumpster dive for them at the Walmart (laughs) the day of. You know why? Because the church didn't have anything, but we had everything. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have anything, but we had everything. And so we just felt that God was really doing something uh, unique. We had no sending church. We didn't have anything behind us. We had this core group of pioneering people who were just in it to win it. And um, it was really, really special. And for me, it felt like, at least in some small part, what the movement of God must have been like in the first century AD when the church was birthed. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. The temple courts was this big outdoor space that surrounded the temple itself. And early Christians, Jesus followers, that's what the word Christian means. Literally, it means little Christ because they acted like Christ. They acted like they were followers of, of this guy, Jesus, who considered himself the Messiah. They were little Christ followers. They would gather together in these open areas and they would receive instruction from the apostles. They would receive the apostles teaching and there's just something really special that happens when the family of God comes together. There's an expectancy, right? That his spirit is amongst us and that the spirit of God is gonna move and the spirit of God is gonna work and the spirit of God is gonna mess with something and wreck you in the best possible way. There's that expectancy when we come together and we lift our voices up together. You just can't get that on your own. And yet at the same time, the church took what was big and broke it down and made it smaller. Because we, we read uh, this in the very next verse. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together and the, they were like really happy, glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this brings up a really important point. Who is it that adds to the number? Who who, does, who builds the church? That's right. It's the Lord. God builds his church. It's not the pastor. At the end of the day, it's not even really the people. It's the spirit of God working. God builds. Additionally, Jesus said this himself. He's having this conversation with, with uh, Peter. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build will build my church. I'm going to build my church. That's, that's a promise. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, with, with Jesus leading the charge, when you are doing something you think is destined to fail, it will not fail with Jesus leading the charge. So we should expect the church to grow because that's what Jesus wants. So as God grows us bigger, following the early example the early example of the church, as God grows us bigger, we want to also grow smaller. That's why we are always encouraging people to get involved in close-knit, smaller communities, community groups, small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, rooted groups. We have a lot of different opportunities uh, to do that because the ultimate goal is to be a disciple. That's why we've used three words to describe the future vision of the church, and it sounds a little um, counterintuitive or contradictive, and, and there's some dissonance in it and I like that so the three words are bigger smaller deeper so when we talk about bigger God has added to our numbers by his grace so what that means is we want to make sure that we have space to accommodate all those that want to hear the message of Jesus and that want to engage with us in all the various uh, ministries and so that's why having a home base uh, like this has has been such uh, such a blessing and here's what we know With this building, we are able to expand our seating capacity by about 50% by moving this wall back into the gym. We lose the gym area, but then we can add about 400 more seats, which is, is, is a huge blessing. Even the fact that we are able to be in this space is pretty amazing because after we were in the gymnasium, knowing that it was up for sale, we began praying again, God, what's next for us? What's next for us? We know we can't be here forever, but we didn't know what was on the horizon. We didn't know if that place was gonna sell in another week, month or whatever. And so we just, God needed to show up again. Shortly after our Christmas Eve gathering, Jamie Rasmussen from Scottsdale Bible reached out to me. We'd only had a couple conversations before. We didn't know each other that well. He said, hey, I heard you're starting a new work. Uh, We want to help. What do you need? He said, Jamie, I need a building. He said, I have a building (laughs) off the 101. Scottsdale Bible was meeting here Sunday mornings. They let us use it on Saturday nights. And so we had a couple of different crews. We we did this for a year and a half. A year and a half, we had one service on Saturday nights. And we had to flip everything over. We had to turn this room over quickly. Like we weren't even here for what they did on Sunday mornings. As God continued to add to our numbers, we came to a mutual agreement with Scottsdale Bible, wherein we took over their lease which was just an amazing thing so for about the last four four and a half years we've been able to meet on sunday mornings and then remarkably as we were looking for a permanent facility for us the owner of the building we'd always been in communication with him and best case scenario is that he would eventually want to sell us this building so it could become our permanent church home to put our roots down and uh, and he would tell us over and again that I'm not a seller. I'm not a seller. And apparently, he's had buildings in his family for you know decades, and he's got several in New York, and this is one of the properties he has outside of New York, here in Arizona. But I'm not a seller. I'm not a seller. I'm not a seller. Well, God disrupted his life. God disrupted his life uh, through a specific event, and we were able to minister to him through that event. And because of that, he came back to us and said, I want this building to be a church. Now, listen, he doesn't know Jesus, right? But it's just the work of God in his heart saying, hey, I'm gonna tell you something about my people. This is who we are and this is what we do. And he was moved enough to say, I I wanna sell the building, but I only wanna sell it to you and I want this to be a church. So because of your generosity, Illuminate, Last September, we were able to purchase this building, which was an immediate financial advantage to us over leasing. So now having this place as our permanent home, we know now what we can do with it and what kind of investments we wanna make in it. So I wanna share a couple of things with you with regard to that. You have on your seats there a little handout, and I just want to uh, highlight a couple of things there for you. We've got these, this worked out in a couple different phases, guys. So phase one involves some of the reworking of the downstairs space, specifically the lobby and the children's area. You can see that in the little brochure there. Phase two involves the upstairs space, which is an additional 18,000 square feet. And then the expansion of the worship center as well. So we have an upstairs tenant and we collect their rent, but we didn't buy the building in order to be a landlord because we want that upstairs space. So in, uh, that's, again, phase two. Phase one, can we throw that, uh, that, uh, that um, uh, plan up there real quick? There's something I want to highlight on here. This is what we've got as far as we, because we've already contacted an architect and a builder. And Lord willing, by February, probably no later than March, you're going to start to see some movement. Um, phase one. But uh, you can see how this is kind of diagrammed out. But one of the things I want to point out first of all and foremost is for the ladies, this large bathroom. (laughs) Ladies, you're the best. You're the best, you're the best. I know it's been a little bit of an inconvenience for you, the situation having to go all the way down. We've got two bathrooms and it's like everybody knows everybody's business because the door is right there. I mean like right there next to the lobby. All that's going away. You can see the lobby area is totally opening up. And the kitchen area is being moved. We're going to have a nice indoor-outdoor space when we can enjoy the weather here eight, nine months out of the year. We've got a a big space for the women's bathrooms, men's bathrooms next to it. But then we've also got this entire children's center that wraps around where our current offices are now because eventually we want to move student ministries and our offices into that upstairs uh, space. You can see it's all uh, designed differently it's far more secure it's more safe i want to highlight two on the corner there we've got a really cool area for our special needs ministry including dedicated room for them as well as a dedicated outdoor space that's safe and secure for our special needs ministry we've got a playground for our kids that wraps around the side there Guys, it's just a total upgrade in every single way for the church body in terms of our hospitality, who we are. It's one of our distinctives with the redesigned lobby and kitchen area. And then also all the things that are happening uh, for our kids. Like I said, our, our kids uh, attendance has increased 20%, a little over 20% year over to year uh, by God's grace. And we're super, super thankful uh, for that. So having said all of that, let me make uh, one thing really, really clear. The church is not defined by a building. Church is not defined by a building. The church is wherever God's people gather together. That is the church. But now that there's over a 1,000 of us that gather together on Sundays, nobody's living room is big enough. And if it is, call me. Um, But we're super thankful that God has provided us with this space. And let me also make, make it crystal clear that there is a difference between numerical growth and spiritual growth. Let me say that again. There's actually a big difference between numerical growth and spiritual growth, and uh, and God wants both. In Acts chapter two, somebody's taking a count. Three thousand people were added in one day. Somebody's counting the numbers. Why? Because each person represents a soul in need of a savior, So God wants both, numerical growth and he wants spiritual growth. And again, this is why it's so important for us, we can't emphasize it enough, for people to be plugged into a small group, some kind of small group environment where you can exercise your spiritual gifts, the one another's of scripture, where you can know others, where you can be known, where you can develop your leadership skills, where you can engage and ask questions. You know, look, this is a very one-sided conversation here. I'm the one with the microphone. You sit and listen. But in a small group context, you get to interact. You get to absorb it and digest it a little bit more and personalize it for yourself. One of the things that convinced me of the power of small groups was, as I was just reading through the Gospels, it, it occurred to me that this was the model Jesus used. Think about it. He could have spent his entire ministry career teaching the masses because they certainly wanted to hear what he had to say. So he could have done a lot of that. People could have come and, and he could have said, hey, wh- where's my next engagement? Just, just point me in the right direction and give me the microphone and I'll speak to the masses. He did that, but that's not how he spent the bulk of his time. He could have spent all of his time focusing on just one individual. Investing all his time in that one person, and that one person would be trained really, really well, and then that person would go out and find another person and do the same thing. But he didn't do that. He took 12 guys, and he stayed with them for three years. He, he, could have take, he could have picked 12 new individuals every three years, but he doesn't even do every year, but he doesn't do that. He picks 12, and he stays with them for three years. So you have this idea that Jesus himself employed a small group model that was consistent. So that's my pitch. Why would anybody want to be in a small group? Because it's actually the method that Jesus applied to advance the ministry. And so this is why we have so many of these opportunities uh, for you. Um, In addition to small groups, there's uh, an emphasis that we want to have on education, adult education. There's a lot of things that are buzzing in my mind in terms of what I'd like to offer for parents, especially our young parents. And by the way, we have a gentleman by the name of Calvin Beesner, who's going to be here this Friday at 10 o'clock. He's speaking on global warming, climate change, and fossil fuels, and the Christian response. And he's one of the foremost authorities. if you Google his name, uh, that there is out there. That's at 10 o'clock right here. We want to do more of those kinds of things. And so having the entire building space uh, frees us up to do that. So for those of you who may be newer to the church and you've kind of like been hesitant to get involved in that more smaller, more intimate gathering, I want to encourage you to take that, uh, that, next, that next step because ultimately the end goal is to fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus uh, supplies this power there for you. This is really uh, uh, this is really meaningful, right? Because it, in some way, this verse is your purpose statement as a follower of Jesus, to make disciples. The Greek word for disciple is methetos. It's a pretty cool one. It literally means one who follows in the footsteps of another. I've said it before, but the ancient rabbis used to have this saying, a good Good student, a good methetos, a good disciple is covered with the dust of his rabbi's feet. So, what that means is wherever the rabbi goes, the disciple follows. We all follow something, even if it's the voice that comes from within, but you become that which you follow. So, when Jesus, some of his parting words, says, like, Jesus, what's it about? What do you want to leave us with? He says, This go and make followers, make disciples. That word is used 256 times in the New Testament. Jesus himself uses it about eight times, and every time he uses it, he uses it in a conditional sense. He says, you are my disciple if you do these things. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, bear fruit. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, they hear words like whosoever, gift, free. But the words surrounding discipleship are different. It's costly, sacrifice suffering that's why i say there's a difference between numerical growth and spiritual growth and what we're after is discipleship and discipleship doesn't happen apart from some kind of personal interaction with your brothers and sisters in christ so i love what the apostle paul says it's like i don't know if you remember this i'm I'm old enough to remember this It's probably like 15 20 years ago Everybody was developing a personal purpose statement for themselves. Well, Paul actually gives us his. He says this in Colossians chapter one. Him, referring to Jesus, we proclaim. We wanna make Jesus known, he says, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature or complete in Christ. So that's our goal. Um, Quick question then. What would prevent us from achieving our goals? What would it be? Um, A couple of things. Uh, Number one, I think a preoccupation with ourselves. (laughs) That's probably the thing that's going to stop us the most, guys. Because we are like any other church in that we are healthy only to the degree that our people are plugged in and exercising their spiritual gifts and serving one another. It's always kind of crazy to me to think that if our volunteers stop serving, if they just decided not to show up, we're maybe like a week or two away from just shutting our doors down. You realize that? So for those of you who volunteer, thank you. You're the engine, you're the heartbeat. You make it happen. For those of you who come, yeah. Right now, I would imagine, that it was a volunteer who started that clapping. Um, and see, that's the difference between being a participant and a, and a spectator, right? So maybe you've been coming for a while and it's like you've been doing the spectator thing. My thing is, hey, man, get off, get off the bench and get in the game because we need you. You have something to offer that is yet to be a blessing to this community so that we can continue to expand the kingdom of God. And what would keep you from doing that? What would keep you from doing See, that's why I said probably the thing that's going to stop us the most is our own uh, self-absorption. You know what's interesting? I about this the other day. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, if you want to make the world a better place, love yourselves more. But that's the message from the culture, isn't it? Here's the problem. You just don't love yourself enough. You need to love yourself more. You're not going to find that in the Bible. Actually, it's the opposite. What you read in the Bible is deny yourself. If you want to be the greatest, make yourself the leadest. You at least you want to find your life, lose it, give it away. It's it's actually the exact opposite of the message that we're receiving from the culture. And I think that's a that's a good reminder for us. I think one of the primary barriers for us as we continue to want to expand the kingdom is for us to each one of us to think, what is my part? What has God given me? What has God entrusted me? What are my gifts, my talents, my skills? And then how can I use that to advance his kingdom? And so one of the things that prevents us from doing that is our own, our own self-absorption. I saw on, on a car, I, th- I might have communicated this a while ago, but the license plate read self-love, self-love. And then next to it, there was a, a little like icon, sticker icon of, of a cross. And my head was like, you know, I'm like, you got two very different messages there. What it should be is deny yourself and then the cross right? Self-love. Those two messages don't, don't coincide. So, you know, what I'm saying to you is a little bit maybe more challenging, but what's interesting is you read through the Bible and people get stuck on some of the words of Jesus and like, wait a minute, is Jesus really saying what he's saying here? Jesus saved his most challenging words for the call to discipleship. Why? Because he knew that it was going to be those sort of those pioneers those men and women who understood the depth of sacrifice and the blessing that comes with, I was having this conversation with a sweet lady uh, in in the lobby earlier, just for serve timber, just to know it is more blessed to give than to receive. And some people will never experience that because they're always in a receive mode. And sometimes that happens in the church, right? Sometimes, because you have two kinds of people that walk through the doors. The first kind of person walks in and says, here I am, I am so ready to be served. I hope the donuts are fresh. I hope you don't run out of good goodies out there in the mobile kitchen that's actually for the homeless. And the second kind of person walks in and says, "Oh, there you are. There you are. How can I serve you? How can I be a blessing to you?" Which person more models the life of Jesus? Right? So, right? So these are some challenging things. Fun. Um, here's the uh, here's the, the the place I want to um, end with you this morning, and, and that is just to remind ourselves of what's in a name. Names are important. When we were thinking about a name for the church, a lot of churches are named after their location, which is cool, but for me, totally uninspiring. You know, let's name the church after some, you know, the topography. Okay. Names are important. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is where the name Illuminate comes from. Jesus used all these metaphors of light and we wanted to be that light in our city. We have another opportunity coming up toward the end of October. I believe and I'm trusting God that it will be our biggest outreach event yet. Last year, we had upwards of a couple thousand, maybe a little more than a couple thousand people here. This year, we're expecting upwards of about 3,000 people on our campus. Why? Because we wanna be a gift to the community. That's why. We wanna be a gift to the community. We want people, yeah, it's it's kinda cool because people might say, hey, you know those Christians, I don't necessarily buy everything that they sell, right? It's like, I don't believe everything they believe, but I'll tell you this, I'm glad they're here. I'm really glad they're here, right? If, if you want to win people over, you're, you're not gonna hammer them with your words, especially in light of today's um, difficult environments. You're not gonna hammer them with your words. You're gonna melt them with your kindness. And that's the heart of Jesus. So there's so many different ways. That's what I love about it. I never wanna be a part of a church that isn't always asking me for my money, quite frankly, because that means they're doing good things, right? They're investing in the kingdom and they're asking me for my time because they're giving me the opportunity to serve God. So we have a lot to be thankful for, church. Um, uh, Jesus said it well, right? In John chapter 12, he says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So we are a gospel-centered church. We're always talking about Jesus. Even as we work through the book of Genesis, you hear us talking, hey, every, 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 every week, man, this is like, this, is, this actually points forward to Jesus. And here's how and here's why. And so it's the lifting up of Jesus on the cross that is that captivating influence that pulls the human heart toward him. It's the cross where all of our sin meets God's forgiveness. It's where God's wrath and his mercy collide and pardon is given. I go back to what Kyle said earlier. We do these things because this is who we are as God's people, If you want to know more about the future vision of the church, more details about Bigger, Smaller, Deeper, October 7th, that's this Friday, and then October 14th, we're having some dinners. We'd love to host you. Go to BiggerSmallerDeeper.com. You can find out more information. On behalf of some, I didn't go through all the details. I'm going to go into some things more in-depth next week and the following week as well. But take that little brochure home, digest it, and let me just say some of the stuff in there is crazy the way that God has moved through this congregation in such a short amount of time and on behalf of all the people whom you bless I want to say to you personally thank you let's pray Father it is with a tremendous heart of gratitude and in complete and total humility knowing that Jesus you're doing it you're doing exactly what you said and you're doing it here in our midst and we're so blessed we we experience blessings that some never get to experience and we're so thankful for that God, we pray that in the days, the weeks, the months to come, that you would continue to guide us by your spirit. Again, Father, in total humility and dependence upon you, continue to expand your kingdom. I pray for just a a very special blessing over every person in this room and even for those that may be here and this is new to them. God, I pray that you would just continue to be knocking on that door and drawing them towards you. Whatever barriers there might be, I pray that you would Lord. I pray that you would make yourself so real, that person that it would just be irresistible Father thank you for every person in this room thank you personally I thank you for the privilege of being in at this place and at this time this moment of history just doing your work Lord we're in it right now but one day in glory, we're just going to be celebrating all the crazy good fruit we pray it all In the name of the one who sacrificed everything for us and his name is Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen.